Welcome to Monarch Perspectives. I'm Steve LeClaire, partner at Monarch Private Capital, focused on affordable housing. And I'm Rick Chukas, also a partner at Monarch, leading our historic division. In this podcast series, we'll talk with industry experts about important topics for tax equity investors, developers, and owners. From affordable housing to renewable energy, we'll explore trends and opportunities in federal and state tax credit programs. We hope to provide you with valuable insights to navigate the world of tax equity and impact investing. Today, we will be diving into the ever-evolving landscape of corporate sustainability, a topic which has been front of mind in a number of industries for the past several years. Absolutely, Steve. Hey, everyone. Thrilled to be a part of this conversation. Sustainability is a concern across the board, whether you're a corporate or institutional investor, a developer, or an individual looking to make a positive impact. The interest in addressing environmental and social challenges is at an all-time high. That's right, Rick. And since neither of us is qualified, we've brought in Melanie Franzak to shed light on the tremendous opportunities within the realm of corporate sustainability, the interplay with the various industries in which Monarch is a participant, and how it impacts our investors and developers. Thank you, Steve. Delighted to be here with the both of you. First, Melanie, I think it might be helpful if you can kind of give an overview of what has changed in corporate sustainability, maybe even what corporate sustainability means to you and how it's interpreted across uh, our industry. The first thing I'd like to just point out is that makes it a little bit difficult as far as a terminology in this realm is concerned is there's a lack of standardization that creates a little bit of confusion over differentiating between utilizing, um, say, the term ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance, versus sustainability, versus impact, versus sustainable investing. Um, We also hear the terminology social responsibility, social responsible investing, and also corporate social responsibility. Um, There's you know, a multitude of terms out there being utilized. But what I want to, you know, point out is, you know, as far as ESG is concerned, that term being used is is more broadly used in the scope of evaluating the performance of companies based on their environmental, social, and governance standards and criteria that they have set forth within their action plan, where I kind of group together uh, the term sustainability, sustainable investing, social responsibility investing, impact investing, all into kind of one bucket. And those terms are typically used to evaluate their the corporation's investment decisions. So that's looking at both the financial returns and moral values when they're making their investment decisions. And I would say more often than not these days, more individuals and corporations are Um, looking at their moral values in front of financial returns. So I think that ESG has attributes of sustainable investing, and I do think that ESG investing is an evolution of the trend towards socially responsible investing. Melanie, so a lot of different terminology, and as you kind of highlight, this is an evolutionary process. What are we hearing from our clients as to what matters most to them and to their particular boards or constituencies to whom they report? From our clients' perspectives, financial returns are are still a driver um, when they're looking at uh, different investment opportunities out there. But I will definitely say that there has been a fundamental shift 
and what drives the investments in the marketplace towards looking at the environmental and social aspects of their decisions. We've seen a rise and emergence of sustainability and ESG teams in corporate America um, over the last probably two to three years. And those teams have been tasked with designing um, an action plan across the company that incorporates different environmental, social, and governance goals. And a great example I want to highlight here is that through Monarch Private Capital and our direct tax equity investments um, in renewable energy, affordable housing, historic rehabilitation projects, Besides the economic benefits that are derived from these investments through the use of your tax dollar, there's also these environmental and social aspects that may help satisfy internal sustainability initiatives. So we're starting to see departments, different departments across the entire corporation working together to achieve corporate-wide sustainability initiatives that also include positive financial return aspects. You know, that's what I'm seeing and hearing from my clients. Steve, I know that you, you know, you specialize in our low-income housing tax credit group or affordable housing. Rick, I know that you specialize in our historic rehabilitation and preservation group here at Monarch Private Capital. What are you hearing from our developers that we're working with and also clients as far as what motivates them in their investment decisions and deciding to take on um, these projects in the the communities that we're living and working. Yeah, I I think what I see in the affordable housing world, the financial return aspect, you know, as you've indicated, is always a part of the decision process for for any developer. You know, it has to make economic sense for them to, to approach a project and develop it. But there are those that are the true, you know, affordable housing evangelists who care almost exclusively about the community development and providing a safe, clean place to live for you know these low-income families. But I think what we have seen in over the past five, 10 years as some of the ESG-focused things have come up is not necessarily a focus on ESG from the affordable housing community, but really states and communities putting policy goals out there that find their way into QAPs and other documents uh, with which these developers have to wrestle as they're approaching a new development. And so I think that's how some of these additional sustainability benefits have crept into uh, affordable development. Not that it wasn't always a social benefit uh, from the inception of the program, but I don't necessarily hear more from our affordable housing clients on, on this front, other than that you know these additional requirements and initiatives to increase that community benefit uh, have found their way into some of the governing documentation. Yeah, and Melanie, I would say on the historic front, uh, a lot of our projects are old former mills, former manufacturing facilities, and it is a rare historic rehab today that that we participate in that does not have some environmental issues. And so we always have a phase one environmental study done on our projects. Oftentimes it is the case that there are environmental conditions or contaminants present in a project that require cleanup. And that is always a condition to our participation in a transaction. So first out of the gate, we're cleaning up old environmental issues that have been present for 
in some cases, 20, 30, 40 years. Secondly, we, we've seen a lot of historic rehab, particularly on the East Coast, in communities where a particular facility shut down and, and has been mothballed for decades and had a significantly negative impact on a community, not only in terms of jobs, but in just keeping people together where the old facility, the old building is is being reimagined into a community center that may support development of entrepreneurship. Um, we've got a facility that is now a large-scale kitchen to encourage new and enterprising participants to come in and learn how to develop uh, restaurant skills and open restaurants throughout the community. So there's just a lot of different in ways that our projects benefit communities. And then, you know, finally, in any of these rehabs, there is a significant amount of construction workers that are engaged to undertake the rehab and to complete a project. And, and once it's open, uh, a lot of inhabitants and, and service providers that participate in the ongoing operation of a project. Yeah, thank you, Steve and Rick. Yeah, I, I absolutely do agree with you. And, you know, I think um, policy, Steve, as you mentioned, is being a driver, driving force in, um, in the sustainability landscape as well. Getting back a bit to the impact on, you know, our investors who invest in our the tax equity and the projects across the industries in which Monarch participates. Why are corporate boards facing pressure to either start focusing on these sustainability initiatives or to double or redouble efforts that may have already been there on increasing their sustainable practices? These sustainability efforts aren't going away. And regulatory agencies out there are getting more and more involved and they're taking a a deeper dive into what's out there and how they can help enhance um, guidance and and support for these different initiatives out there. And I will also say, you know, shareholders and stakeholders have been probably one of the top driving forces in demanding corporations out there to be held more accountable and to have more transparency. I just mentioned a little a little while ago about moral values, you know, driving these investment decisions today and more than sometimes financial returns. Investors want to see corporations putting some type of plan in motion that addresses climate risk and environmental challenges. And they want to see these corporations investing in human capital and making good governance, you know, decisions. And we've seen that through the evolution of creating diversity, equity, and inclusion teams within corporate America. We've seen a driving force and more diversification um, in identities and expertise and background and leadership styles within upper management and on corporate boards. And we've seen that this can drive growth and innovation within corporate America. And it's something that 
corporations hope that will drive some workforce engagement, also will hopefully help um, improve tenure as far as employees staying with the company. You're starting to see new employees when they're starting to look for new opportunities out in the workforce. It's very important for them to work for a company that cares about their employees and cares about their carbon footprint and that have action plans in place that are addressing their climate risk challenges um, and social challenges that um, we haven't seen in the past, but is at the, at the forefront of all corporate decision-making these days. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this issue, but ESG being relatively new and, and without a lot of rules and regulations out there with which to guide organizations. I know this concept of, of greenwashing has has been one of the negatives that has kind of hit the industry. Can you spend just a few minutes touching on that issue? Sure, Rick. Um, in 2023, we, we definitely saw an intensified scrutiny and investigation and focus on by regulators on greenwashing. I mean, ultimately, what could happen is corporations could be penalized monetarily by regulators for making um, false or exaggerated claims about their ESG investing practices. Um, in addition, you could see some bad press and public scrutiny that could also end up hurting their bottom line. I guess to that end, Melanie, are there third parties out there that can validate some of these sustainability investments to kind of avoid the, the problems you just mentioned? Um, and how does that work in a given investment? And how has Monarch been able to incorporate some of that third party validation? As again, from, you know, stakeholders and shareholders out there, as you know, they are requesting and requiring further support and transparency and more regulation around disclosures, we are seeing more corporations and businesses out there utilize third-party certification groups. For example, you know, here at Monarch, we do a ESG impact assessment on each of our federal funds. Uh, we created a, a framework uh, with a company by the name of Veris Mablecroft, who is a global ESG risk analytics and consulting firm um, over in Europe. And uh, we, along with them, created the framework for our for assessing our federal funds, looking at the environmental, social, and governance aspects of these investments. And with the, you know, after we had created the framework, um, we also used another third party expert, global expert in this space um, that specializes in independent verification to look at the framework, the scoring, and the impact metrics that we had put together with Ferris Maplecroft as just an added layer of um, review, which hopefully then provides our investors with just additional support over what they're investing in here at, at Monarch Private Capital. I know in 2022, Melanie, that we saw a pretty significant push regulatory-wide for an expanded focus on climate-related disclosures. From an ESG standpoint and from a standards standpoint, do you see this continuing to evolve over time? Yes, Rick, definitely. Um, I feel like we're we're just getting started. Um, we did see 
a huge push in 2022, both by the SEC and the ISSB. Uh, the ISSB is the International Sustainability Standards Board. They both came out with proposed updates to climate-related disclosures. Both of them did. And um, we've had standards on, you know, environmental and social and um, financial aspects for for decades, Um, but they were pretty generic in form. And in 2022, we really saw a a big push uh, from the SEC and the ISSB regarding climate, specifically climate-related disclosures, and specifically, they put together disclosures for essentially encompassing 77 different industries. So they're they're honing in specifically on on industries out there. So this was just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we're going to see the evolution of guidance um, that will continue from year to year as the industry you know, evolves because this is still new. I mean, the ESG and the sustainability landscape here, specifically in the United States, is still fairly new. Um, And so as we see everybody across the globe starting to hone in more and pay more attention to climate and climate-related risk and and social importance, uh, I think that each year we'll start seeing um, different regulatory bodies out there get more specific into the different disclosures and the, and the different regulatory requirements that, that are currently out there. Melanie, hearing all this, I don't envy the role of the corporate executive charged with trying to navigate all of these regulatory concerns combined with what has been very public criticism of ESG standards and political criticism of ESG standards what is the solution here? How do these corporate executives still demonstrate a commitment to sustainability and manage to navigate all of those issues? I don't envy them. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I, I think that, you know, the best way to look at this and, and again, we're going to we're going to continue to see corporate, you know, sustainability action plans evolve as well, right? And so they're going to have short-term, medium-term, and long-term goals within there, and you're going to start seeing those change and evolve as as they work through them. I think that here at Monarch Private Capital, we specialize in these direct tax equity investments in these projects that have positive ESG attributes. And I think you know, one thing to look at is, you know, especially from a corporate executive standpoint, is that, you know, what opportunities are out there that can help us achieve multiple goals across the organization, Um, not just our environmental goals or initiatives, not just our social goals and initiatives, not just our financial goals and initiatives, right? And I think, you know, these direct tax equity investments are really a complement to your sustainability plan, to that corporate sustainability plan. You can make these direct tax equity investments in a multitude of different projects that are out there. And they can go, you know, we're looking at the investment tax credit program, the production tax credit program, those are both in the renewable energy sector. We have opportunities in the low-income housing tax credit, affordable housing sector, and also in the historic tax credit or the historic rehabilitation, historic preservation um, space as well. And 
There are different opportunities out there. It's just finding the ones that complement your internal goals from the corporate lens. But the thing I think to note is that you don't just have to have one or the other. I think that these direct tax equity investments provide the environmental and the social qualities that can align with your sustainability goals while also providing that financial return. Okay, Melanie, time to pull out your crystal ball. (laughs) Given the ever-changing market conditions as well as policy shifts across the board, what do you see happening with respect to tax equity impact investing? And, and how do you think this overall industry in the future might evolve and change in response to everything going on? Yeah, Rick, um, I wish I had a crystal ball, but um, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, I would say the anticipated trends include, we'll continue to see an increased focus on impact metrics. Um, you know, right now out there, there is hundreds of different rating agencies out there. And I think one of the challenges that we see with that is, you know, there's no standardization. So again, as you know, this industry evolves, you know, we'll see more standardization. And I think that will will help the industry in general. Also, we'll see, and we've already seen, a rise of innovative financial instruments out there that are kind of associated with these environmental and social aspects. And we will continue, as we've all mentioned multiple times throughout this podcast already, is we will continue to see policy changes. And we'll see those policy changes through different, you know, regulatory and regulatory standards um, and and the different organizations out there that we've also seen consolidate over the last couple of years as well that will continue to evolve and grow. Okay. You, now you've got my attention. You speak to the rise in innovative financial instruments. Is this kind of back to the future or what specifically might you be referring to here, Melanie? Happy to to elaborate on this just a little bit more. Um, you know, these different financial instruments, um, you know, some of them have been out there. Um, some of them are newer. Um, some of them have just um, evolved a little bit, again, as the industry continues to evolve. But I think we're going to continue to see uh, a surge in the use of these different instruments as we're starting to see a surge in the use of direct tax equity investments out there for corporations and for helping to achieve their financial, environmental, and social goals and initiatives. Some of these different financial instruments, you know, we have RECs, you'll hear that out there, which are renewable energy certificates, synthetic PPAs or power purchase agreements, different carbon offset credits, transfer credits. Um, Those are all different financial instruments that we've seen out there. Um, in the industry, with a lot of those different financial instruments, you kind of get one or the other. Um, you, you, you'll either get financial returns or you'll get some you know, environmental or social aspects, which is different than what we see with these direct tax equity investments that Monarch specializes in. Um, really, with those direct tax equity investments, you get to recognize healthy financial returns while also having the opportunity to utilize environmental and social aspects of these investments. Um, so it's a, it's a win-win. And 
just knowing, you know, from a, from a corporation's perspective, just knowing that there's all these different opportunities out there, I think is important. And then educating yourself on that. And, you know, Monarch's always here as a resource to help kind of navigate through those decisions and what are the best opportunities and fit for corporations out there and how that can complement their sustainability goals and action plans. Because we look at it from, you know, a multi-pronged strategy to achieving and supplementing and enhancing those sustainability goals through these type of direct tax equity investments. Um, So, Rick and Steve, this is ever-evolving landscape. I'm just glad you managed to get Rick's attention on the last question. But, you know, did want to uh, give you an opportunity if there's something we haven't touched on, as this is kind of an ever-evolving space. Is there... Anything else you feel we didn't cover that uh, we ought to at least mention before we wrap up? There are very promising trends and opportunities for societal and environmental impact fueled by the increased emphasis on environmental and social metrics and innovative financial instruments out there. All of the offerings here at Monarch Private Capital are unique. They're measurable, they're mission-oriented and community-minded. And here at Monarch, we look forward to what the future holds and uh, it's exciting. Great. Thank you so much for joining Rick and me today. And we look forward to having you review our sustainability plan for this podcast. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Monarch Perspectives. We hope you will follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about Monarch Private Capital, please visit monarchprivate.com.